Oh, come on, phone. What's wrong? Sprinturn. This smartphone is not smart. Then switch to Sprint and get a brilliant iPhone XR for just $15 a month. $15 a month? Now that sounds smart. Switch to Sprint and get the brilliant iPhone XR for just $15 a month. Visit a Sprint store, Sprint.com, or call 800 Sprint One. Phone $15 per month after $16.25 per month. Credit applied within two bills. Requires 24 month installment. Calling if you cancel early. Remaining balance two. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes tax, $30 activation fee, restrictions apply. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Bodybuilding.com podcast. Coffee's on, coffee's hot, weather's cold. I'm Nick Coleus, an editor for Bodybuilding.com. Heather Eastman, also an editor, a physique judge and competitor. Uh, Our guest is a self-described physique scientist. He's Dr. Bill Campbell, uh, exercise science professor at the University of South Florida, and the director of the Performance and Physique Enhancement Lab, which is an actual thing. People may have not known. The Physique Enhancement Laboratory. Um, They study... Dieting models, training frequency, the effects of pre-workouts on power performance, periodization models for power lifters, all, all sorts of fun all stuff. All the fun stuff. Like I, I just I, I envision a big board where you guys are cooking up all sorts of fun <laughs> ideas there. That's pretty much how it works. Um, so we have a, I don't know if you've gotten the tour yet, we have like a protein dispenser in the gym. We've got the amino acid fountain in the caf- cafeteria. Mm-hmm. What do you guys have that's cool? We have... Post-workout protein for all of my staff mm-hmm. and myself. Just in a tub or is it like... No, just in a, in a tub. <laughs> and it's Dimatize. Dimatize uh-huh. oh, is kind right. enough to... Mm-hmm. Yes, oh, yeah. yeah. So they sponsor some of our studies and they um, they make sure that my staff... I have a large volunteer staff, undergraduate, graduate students. Mm-hmm. So we are never short on protein. <laughs> yes. And cool machines, something that you think you go, oh my God, this thing's a game changer. Yeah. I mean, it's the fun stuff, like a metabolic rate machine. Mm -hmm. So we, we use the heck out of that. And then my, my lab's really just a a nice weight room. It's a Mm -hmm. weight room. And then we also use ultrasound for body composition. Uh, We have a body water machine. We just got a new machine to test fat breakdown. So Mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's fun stuff. Okay, cool. And we we have a bunch of stuff we want to talk to you about while we can. Um, Two of them in particular were protein, protein, Protein intake for women and flexible dieting. Yes. Uh, you already wrote run one great article for us last year called something along the lines of how much protein do women really need? If you go to bodybuilding.com and look for Bill Campbell, you can find it pretty easily. Um, but yeah, it's, it goes in depth. And you, that's something that you've been studying, actually, is just the simple addition of protein. It's not like it's this massive change to mm-hmm. somebody's diet. It's almost just like, yeah, what happens when you just take in more protein? Yes. So tell us, yes. What, tell us what you've been studying. So what we did was we took aspiring female physique athletes and we, we did a simple study. We p- put them into two groups. We had a high protein group and a low protein group. Mm-hmm. And if you want numbers, we told the high protein group, eat about 2.5 grams of protein per kilogram of body mass. Mm -hmm. The low protein group, we said, eat about half that. So about 1.2 grams per kg. Okay. Which, which is, is still higher than the recommended yes. amount. Yeah, it's still, I mean, that's what, what a lot what of What does that translate into on, on the high end for how it actually plays out in somebody's diet? Yes. Is it just a couple of shakes a day more or what is it? Well, if you're a 125 pound female, it would be about 140 grams per day mm-hmm. of protein. So I mean, each scoop of whey protein is about 25 grams. Okay, so if you ate three to four solid meals, couple of shakes. You're, you're easily you're there. there, yes. There. And then the low protein group for the same 125 pound female, it would be about 70 grams of protein per day, which is pretty low. Right. So what we did, we told them, um, do whatever you want with carbs and fat. I don't care. Just Just don't die. taste. Yes. Mm -hmm. We don't want you losing weight on this study. We want you to eat enough protein or make sure you don't eat 
an X amount of protein if you're in the low group. Mm -hmm. So very simple study design. We had them come to my lab four days per week for weight training. So they did two days of upper body, two days of lower body for eight weeks. So we supervised every set, every rep. They tracked their macros every day. So these weren't just diet records. They literally tracked every gram of carbs, protein, okay. and fat for eight weeks. And that okay. was a big training on my staff because you know, some people don't know how to track macros. Right. Even even these physique competitors, some of them didn't know how to yes, track? Yes. Now, they were aspiring. So not okay. all of them were competitors. Some were. Some had the desire to compete within that mm -hmm. next year. Mm -hmm. So they weren't all, um, they weren't all competitors at that time. Mm -hmm. So what we did was brought them in before and after the eight-week study, and the results were maybe surprising, maybe not. Um, the high-protein group gained four and a half pounds of muscle mass. The low-protein group gained about one and a half pounds. Mm. So significant difference mm -hmm. right. in muscle mass loss. Now, muscle mass um, gain. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> That's and a big difference. San Antonio was talking to us about um, when he did a similar study, they actually had one vegetarian in their group who wasn't eating animal protein. Did you have any similar, because we get a lot of questions about that, you know, I don't eat meat, what can I do? So did you have anyone in your group? We did not have any vegetarians, okay. um, fortunately, because that always complicates things. <laughs> but those, in, those vegetarians. Those vegetarians. Yeah, in theory, I suppose they, they could, I mean, we, we wouldn't have excluded them on that, because mm -hmm. again, they could have, we didn't care where they got their protein from, so it could have been all from supplemental sources. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let me tell you the, really intriguing part of this study. And I call it the protein aberration. So this high protein group, they ingested about 425 extra calories every day for eight weeks because they were adding protein to their right. diet. So mm -hmm. just in terms of uh, pure protein just, yes. calories. Yeah, there were no there was no difference in carbs or fat between the two groups, but a significant difference in total calories and protein over the eight weeks. So normally, if you look at a group and you say, hey, they're eating 400 more calories every day, you would say, well, they're probably going to gain a little more fat. They lost more fat than the low-protein group eating less calories. That's, that's crazy talk. So in addition to gaining four pounds of muscle, which is a lot for women Yes, in four and a half weeks. pounds, yes. Wow. Mm, but they were, right. they were lifting four times a week, too. I feel they were like lifting there's four interplay times. there, well, potentially. We've right. always heard women, you know, that we can gain maybe a pound of muscle a month. And so that's that's almost two, a little over two pounds of muscle mm -hmm. yes. in a four-week period. Yeah, so, not, so the actual body weight stayed about the same, but body composition changed then? Yes. Or did there? Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, weight gain went up um, a little bit in the high-protein group. Mm -hmm. Um, now, let me critique my own study. What we did not do at the time was we did not track water changes. Mm -hmm. okay. I, I have that technology now in my lab. So every study we do now, we, we, we make sure, hey, was it this gain all muscle? Was some of it water? So it could be that some of that was more water and not pure muscle. I don't okay. know. But clearly they gain more muscle because you don't gain four and a half pounds of water. Right, right, right. Wow. It's, uh, yeah, and I, 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 like, I like this idea, though, of... It's almost it's almost like free calories, but it's almost yeah. It's it, yeah. It's, it changes the whole light. Like people say, oh, calories in, calories out. This really is a is a, an arrow in the side of yes. that. Yes. Now, if if I didn't see that in my own lab, in my own data, I wouldn't believe it. In mm -hmm. fact, there was a study by Dr. Antonio. He did a study probably about a year prior, not quite as controlled. They, they didn't supervise the workouts, but they noticed the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, that study, it was. I think it was more like 700 calories extra from protein and yeah, they lost fat. They still lost fat. Yeah, we So that's now two studies 
mm-hmm. in a resistance trained population that are reporting the same thing. So now you, you and I'm a doubter that as a scientist, I don't believe a lot of things. Right. There's something going on here with, mm. with this, with protein. That, how how protein. much do you think it matters that these are, these are experienced weight training athletes who are probably portion conscious already. They probably have a history of eating fairly well, or maybe not, or, but they also have a, a muscular base already. Yeah, how, so, do, how do you scale this or apply this to, you know, a group outside of aspiring physique competitors? Yeah. So the fact that they were aspiring, not all of the subjects have been lifting for four and five years. Mm-hmm. I think we had a requirement of the previous three months. They also had to deadlift. I'm trying to remember. I think it was maybe deadlift one and a half times their body weight. We had or 1.25 okay. times by their the body weight. By the end or weight. by the beginning? No, just to get into the study. Okay. So we wanted to verify. Mm-hmm. You can say you're training, but mm-hmm. show me some objective evidence that you've actually been lifting weights. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, I, I don't want to give the impression that these are seasoned competitors because I don't think we would see four and a half pounds of muscle gain in, mm-hmm. phys- in, in competitors that have been training for three, four, five years that have been competing for years. So this would be in the early part of a physique competitor's career, mm-hmm. these types of gains. Wow, wow. Really cool. So how, how crucial do you think it was that, that they were lifting four times a week? Because four, four, four times a week for a lot of women, that's probably a lot. Um, com- how do you think it would have been different if – a, they were just lifting twice a week, or maybe if they were cardio bunny, adding <laughs> mm-hmm. all of this protein to their to their diet. Yeah, so we we limited cardio in the study. Mm-hmm. They could okay. only do high intensity interval training, and it started at like two sets per week, and it got up to eight sets per week. Mm-hmm. So eight sets of thirty seconds, all out sprints on on bike. Um, their choice. So okay. bike, sprinting, treadmill. Oh, it's, it's no fun either way. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what you're doing, pick it's your not poison, be any fun. right? Yeah. Exactly. It's gonna suck. Just yes. do it. <laughs> but clearly, if they were lifting less than that, it's yeah. I don't think we would have seen near mm-hmm. the gains. And there's also something to the fact that they were being watched for mm-hmm. eight weeks. You tend to push yourself a lot more if you've got researchers watching you perform yeah. every rep, mm-hmm. every If you've got set. anyone watching you, you're going to push yourself yes. a little bit harder. Yeah, that's the, yep. the training buddy effect. Hmm. Yeah, and you don't have the choice of not showing up. I mean, they, they didn't miss workouts. If they missed, I think it was more than 15% of the scheduled workouts, we withdrew them from the study. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. hmm. So we had adherence. We had really high levels of macro tracking. It's It mm-hmm. was... It was, yeah, it, it was designed if you're going to gain muscle, this was the environment right. where it would happen. Mm. I like, yeah, I like that. I, w- I wonder how much, not, not, you know, saying, all right, you're not, you're not dieting from the start. You're saying that, but you are tracking macros really tightly mm-hmm. from yes. the start. How, how much does that factor in? Just that, just that awareness of macros, maybe for somebody who doesn't have that awareness. Well, it's a lifestyle change for sure, because mm-hmm. it's, you, you're conscious of everything at that mm-hmm. point. There's no sneaking M&Ms. Well, that doesn't matter. No, that, that needs to be tracked. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it wasn't a dieting study, the group that had the low protein intake, they, in essence, were dieting because what we realized was they, they just cut their protein and they didn't do any compensation right. by increasing carbs and fat. Mm. So interestingly, we didn't, we didn't want them to diet other than to hit their protein, which they did, but they reduced their calories, mm. the, the low protein group. Sure. And like, or in contrast, the high protein group did increase their calories because mm-hmm. they had to increase their protein. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And, and the, the idea of having these macros in mind, um, eat regardless of what you're eating is something that you've also studied in, in yes. specifically mm-hmm. in the, in the framework of flexible dieting. Um, tell, tell us about what you've been doing there. Yeah. So I, th- 
to the best of my knowledge, we did the first study in resistance trained individuals with this with this flexible dieting mm-hmm. paradigm. So or my gra- if it fits your macros as people are exactly your yes macros, yes. So my graduate student Lauren, my graduate student at the time, Lauren Conlon, d- designed this study. She was in my lab, and what we did was we had two groups of people, males and females. They were all resistance trained. And we randomly assigned half of them to a macros, if it fits your macros group. We, we randomly assigned the other half to a meal plan group, what we called the rigid dieting group. Mm-hmm. So they were given, here's what your breakfast should be with a few exchanges, eggs maybe, or bacon, or you know, just different options for foods. But it was a fairly limited meal plan option list. So rigid foods, essentially. And the, the macro group, we said, or the if it fits your macros group, eat whatever you want, just make sure you hit your macros. Mm-hmm. And we encouraged them to get a variety of foods, but we didn't, we didn't track that. Both groups reduced their calories by 25%, and they did that over a 10-week period. So it was a 10-week diet. The other nice thing that we did was after the 10-week diet, we had a post-diet phase. And what we told them was after the diet's over, for 10 weeks, don't do, don't diet anymore. Just do whatever you want. If you want to track, track. If you don't, we wanted to see how people would come out of these diets. How would their bodies right. respond if you were previously tracking or if you were following a rigid diet? So basically there wasn't any significant differences in weight loss. Both groups lost about five pounds mm-hmm. over the 10 week period. And remember they were resistance training. Um, the rigid dieting group, again, not significantly different, but lost a little more fat mm-hmm. over the dieting period. Not significantly so, but there was it, it was more fat loss. The really intriguing part came during this post-diet phase. So after the 10 weeks of not doing anything, the group that was previously in the flexible dieting group actually gained a significant amount of lean body mass as compared to the rigid group. So, so, so to repeat that, the rigid group lost a little bit more body fat, you say? During the diet During phase. During the diet. Phase, yep. mm-hmm. But then the flexible dieters gained a little bit more lean body mass after the yes. dieting phase. So, so comparing body composition, you think they, were they primed for more long-term success then? That's what, that's, that's our takeaway. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd like to be able to tell you, well, here's why they gained more muscle mass mm-hmm. over the 10 week post diet phase, but I don't have an answer because mm-hmm. we looked at calories, they were the same, protein intake was the same. Mm-hmm. The amount of time that they spent in the weight room and doing cardio was the same. Mm. So you'd like to point to one of them and say, oh, they did this and that's why. I don't, mm. I'm, it, it bothers me as a scientist not to, not sure. to, ha- not to have a, well, a, a reason. Hmm. Critics of flexible dieting and if it fits your macros always say, oh, that's just the lazy way to do it. You're not like, you know, they, they think you're not being strict. <laughs> and really what it sounds like is it's almost like you're creating a lifestyle mentality of, you know, okay, I know what my macros are. And as long as the food fits in what yes. my macros are. And so to the critics, it's almost saying, here's some data showing that there might be more long-term benefits. We don't know why, but yes. in kind of and at least from our study, which is the only study we can draw from at this point. And I, and I would say my, my own philosophy is I'd like flexible dieting, Mm -hmm. but it's not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Some people do much better with, tell me what to eat, give me a plan. And then that's what they should do. Right. And it can also, depending on how it plays out in somebody's macros, not really be a a health diet necessarily. Like 
there's nothing in there telling you eat your vegetables. No, it's no. macros. <laughs> it is now. If you if you are taking this, let's say you're trying to get stage ready, mm-hmm. the the flexible food choices really start to get restricted on a flexible diet because there's not really room for cake when you're in a when you're cutting a lot of calories. Right. Um, you can still plan to have a little piece of cake even getting ready for contest. Mm-hmm. But yes, it's it's it is flexible, but as calories keep getting cut and cut and cut, that flexibility <laughs> isn't quite as flexible as what it is mm. if you're not dieting. It's almost like it self-selects it's you know to the yes. point where you become just like a rigid diet competitor when you're going into competition. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, in, in both of in both of these things that we've talked about, I feel like part of what I'm hearing is don't let the scale tell you tell the whole story. Right. Yes. And yes. even when the goal is fat loss or anything like that. And also gains and muscle mass are a win. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So so how how help help someone who is saying, okay, you did these studies. You know, you know, I could do this, but I may, I might not actually see the scale change at all. How how is that a win for them? So, again, I'm biased because I'm a scientist. I, I would say get more data than the scale. Mm-hmm. The scale may not change at all, and your physique may be drastically improving. Because if you're gaining muscle and losing fat, your body's changing for the better. Mm-hmm. Abs- yes, yeah, for the better, and almost always that's going to show out in your how your clothes fit. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I have people that I work with just take a simple tape measurement of your waist. Let's do that in addition to the scale. Um, the best thing to do would be to get somebody that you trust that's good with skinfold calipers mm-hmm. and do an actual body composition assessment. Or if you ha- go to a facility where they can use ultrasound or right. DEXA or BOTPOD. What do you think about the uh, Oh, the handheld the hands, BIA. We have, we have one down <laughs> in the basement here that's um, up from the feet, and then you have out to the side the electroimpedance, uh, right? Yeah, the D- pod yeah, if it, if that's all somebody has access to, that's that would be that's great. It's, should they I, stick with that consistently? Absolutely. That's that was just yeah. You're you're yeah. one step ahead of me. Whatever you use, even if it's not ideal, as long as you use the same thing mm-hmm. right. over and over, you, if as long as that's you know as long as it's consistent in its readings, you're going to be able to detect changes. Mm. So anything is better than nothing. So the scale plus maybe measuring your waist. Maybe a skinfold caliper. Maybe a those are called like handheld BIA devices. Mm-hmm. Um, now again, I have the luxury of in my lab having uh, like high level ultrasound mm-hmm. um, just, and high level body water assessment machines. So I, I get to cheat a little bit. I've I've got really good stuff, but just with people that I work with, just yeah, something more than the scale because the scale could lead you to a false conclusion of what's happening. Sure, Multiple sure. points of yeah, data. Both, bo- both making you think that you have progress when it's actually negative progress. <laughs> right, right. But also, yeah, making you think there's no progress when there might be actually some really important and healthy body composition mm-hmm. changes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so this was the first study, to your knowledge, of flexible dieting. What, Where's it going now? What's Because it, it sounds too good to be true for a lot of people. There must be things that still need to be studied next. Yeah, so well, it's the first study in like a lean population. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, we do dieting studies. We're about to do a diet refeed study right now. We're going to start that in January where we increase carbs two days per week. And when you look at the scientific literature, like 99% of all the studies on weight loss are in, not surprisingly, overweight or mm-hmm. obese people. Mm-hmm. So when I talk to other scientists, they look at me like, like I'm crazy. Like, why are you studying weight loss in people who are already thin? 
And my answer is, well, there's there's a certain segment of the population that wants to go from good to great. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. So um, what your question was, where, where are we going? What, 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 and what next. needs to be studied next about flexible dieting? Um, well, one thing, like I said, adherence is key. So I don't I'm not sending a message that flexible dieting is the best thing. I don't think that's true. It is great for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I would say, though, on that note. I think everybody would benefit from doing flexible dieting and tracking your macros for like a three, maybe a six months period of their life. You learn so much about food choices, Mm -hmm. about overeating, undereating, when you're hungry. I think that would benefit. Just the consciousness that comes Yes, Mm -hmm. it is. Because I've taken some people who had, you know, no concept of flexible dieting and said, "Let's, let's go through the education of this. They will never, for the rest of their lives, they will, they will change, at least consciously. They might not change their behavior, but they'll know, oh, that donut is a lot different than that chicken sandwich, mm-hmm. even though the calories may be the same. The matrix right. mindset, all of a sudden it just spreads yes. apart. <laughs> yes. calories, it, it's almost like calories alone is just one data point because you're not really taking into account what those calories are made of. Yes. So, you know, you're just yes. adding numbers together, but you're not thinking about what's going into it. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So, hmm. Okay, very cool. Okay. So, but is adherence the great strength of this, aside from that consciousness of food? Yeah, I, I think for most people, a flexible diet is, it, it encourages adherence. Mm-hmm. So let's say one day you just blew it. Um, you're driving by, I don't know, Chick-fil-A, and instead of getting my one chicken sandwich, I got three and a milkshake and French fries. Okay, a lot of people, especially if they're on following a plan, well, I'll start next week. I just blew it this week. Whereas a flexible dieting approach would say, okay, yeah, you overate today, but tomorrow we're going to lower our macros and we'll compensate for what you did today. Mm-hmm. So it's almost self-correcting. Okay, mm-hmm. so not just thinking in terms of the day, you can think in terms of the several days or the week. Yeah, so when I work with individual clients, I, I look, I mean, we track the day. Mm-hmm. But one of my primary markers is at the end of the week, where are you at with your average carbs, protein, and fat intake? Mm. And then it's really cool because you can start to say, okay, I see on these two days you were really high. Well, now maybe we should plan to increase your calories on days like the weekend a little bit more, and we can reduce your calories on the other days where you don't struggle as much, kind of like a diet refeed mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. So you asked what's what's next. Um, I like all these other popular dieting paradigms out there. So flexible dieting, we looked at that. Uh, The next thing is diet refeeds. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking at there is we're going to have resistance trained people work out in my lab. Um, My graduate student, Danielle Aguilar, is coordinating that study. And we're going to have one group have the same 25% calorie reduction every day of the week. The other group is going to have two days of pretty high carbohydrates for two days out of the week. And then the other five days, their calories are a little bit lower than the other group. But both groups are going to be cut by 25%. Mm-hmm. And what we're looking at is, does the diet refeed, does it have a benefit over an eight-week diet? And we're going to look at resting metabolic rate, leptin, body composition. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and seeing if maybe kind of like that protein, it sounded like it ended up being almost free calories. Mm-hmm. Maybe this refeed could end up being... Free? Well, we won't be able to say that because we are. everybody's going to have the same 25% reduction. Mm-hmm. But there are going to be two days where they get more carbs, but their 
kind of paying for that on the other five days because sure. they, they get lower hmm. calories on the other days. Just out of curiosity, and I'm sure you're doing this, are you doing questionnaires with these individuals? Are you assessing kind of how they're feeling when they're on these diets? Because that's what a lot of people, when they choose flexible dieting or rigid dieting, that seems to be kind of the overriding factor is I just feel better or yes. I'm, you know, I'm not as cranky with my family. Yeah, so no, and you make me appreciate the fact I should be doing that. But <laughs> I'm sure you're doing this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was trained as a physiologist, so I'm very focused on fat, mm-hmm. muscle performance. You want and data. I, yes, and you, that is good Are people data. crying in the lab often about it? Um, <laughs> only when they're doing the cycle well, sprints, maybe. The, the reason I bring it up is every single competition that you go to, you know, the guy's on stage, he's got the trophy in his hand, and he thanks his lovely wife and kids for putting up with how cranky he's been for the past eight weeks. And so a lot of these new competitors are talking about, yeah, this, this past competition was easy because I was flexible dieting, or this past competition was easy because I was doing this diet. And, and so that would be, I'm, I'm curious about that, if you could study that in a lab setting. Yeah, we need to do more psychological measures. Um, I don't want to get into a rabbit trail here, but we tried to do that in our diet refeed study. We were going to do a POMS, a profile of mood states, mm-hmm. but the university IRB, the, the, the board that approves the study, um, had issues with that questionnaire that I wasn't prepared to address. Mm-hmm. So we okay. planned, and I would say we got shot down. But for you, in the next one, we okay. will, we will right. incorporate a, a psychological question. No, we're running out of time, but I wanted to ask you one other question about flexible dieting also. Um, s- similar to the, to the protein study, I, w- I want you to compare flexible dieting with lifting regularly to flexible dieting without that component for, for somebody who's, I, you know, if, you, if you're just looking at YouTube, Instagram, the flexible dieting crew is often a regular training population. Yes. But for somebody who just looks at it from the outside, maybe they're not strength training regularly. How much of a difference does that make in success with these sorts of things? Well, I think the first question I would have, what is their goal? Mm -hmm. If their goal is to lose weight, um, flexible dieting, as long as you reduce your calories, it's going to work great. Now, are you going to change your body shape without resistance training? No. Mm -hmm. Resistance training is, that's I always like to explain it like this. If you are just trying to go from overweight to good, that's 90, 95% diet. You're not going to exercise your way to a great physique. But if you're already lean and you're trying to go from a good physique to a great physique, that is where your resistance training program now starts to take on a much larger role mm-hmm. in that journey. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and you, you did another article for us about the keys to, to uh, long-term weight loss. Yes, and yes, I believe one of them was, was lifting also. So that's if you're, that's if principle you're, number three. Right, exactly. If you're thinking just in terms of, all right, you know, I'm trying to get from this number to this number, and that's the end goal, okay, yeah, maybe that's pure diet. But if you're looking out further for how can I actually change my life, is lifting, is strength training essential to that? Yes, because it's it's, again, it's... That's what will maintain your muscle mass during a diet. Mm -hmm. And it will also help prevent your metabolism from being suppressed as much. Mm -hmm. So it's got a huge metabolic advantage during a diet and it will actually change your physique. Um, Without resistance training, you kind of, you lose weight. So you're just a smaller, puffier version of yourself. But resistance training actually changes your physique, Hmm. your contours. It's, yeah. It's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very biased on resistance, right? <laughs> if you haven't noticed. Well, Dr. Bill so. Campbell, thanks for coming and talking with us. Um, how do people find out more about what you're up to if they want to, if they want to learn about you and about this laboratory? Yeah, so um, 
My Instagram is Bill Campbell, PhD. So I'd love to have um, followers. They can see what I'm up to on that. And if they're interested in coming to graduate school to be involved in these types of research studies, um, I'm, I'm at the University of South Florida. And my email is bcampbell at usf.edu. Wonderful. Well, thank you for coming by. Thank you. If you like free stuff, you're going to like Tim's Rewards by Tim Hortons. You can earn free food or drinks after every seven purchases. Cool. How do I win? Um, it's not a contest. You just use your Tim's Rewards card. And after seven purchases, you score a free coffee, tea, or baked good. Whoa. So I've got a pretty good chance of winning. Well, actually, you've got a 100% chance of winning. Those are great odds. <laughs> they sure are. Free coffee and more with Tim's Rewards. It's Tim Hortons' way of saying thanks. Valid only at participating restaurants. Please visit restaurant or timhortons.com slash rewards for full program details.